turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. As I read, I guess Thursday morning, beginning to really read through my text a few times over in John 14, um, kind of follow the process I do every week. Um, and just through my study on Friday, trying to get my outline together and my notes together, and um, the text in John just wasn't really um, coming together as I wanted it to, I guess you'd say. And so I just began to read through some other scripture, some other text, and decided to go a different direction this morning, and Lord willing, we'll be back into our um, uh, the Gospel of John next week. And so that's, that's why we're in 1 Kings 17, but I'll say I think we don't really get a lot of Old Testament, so we need to make sure we bring in some Old Testament when we have the chance. It is God's Word as well. So um, as you find that, I want to illustrate and give you an illustration to start with. And Sometimes uh, as a parent, um, and some of you can relate to this, you, uh, you use one of your children to help wrangle in the other children or that's what I found, found myself doing and so there might be a time where I'm in the one part of the house and I want uh, one child to you know come here and I'll tell one the, the other kid hey go get them and bring them here uh, I remember one time we were I guess we're kind of doing a house a family cleaning session we're going to work on this house together and clean it up and one kid Ended up, you can go back uh, to the, yeah, it'll be a minute before I get to there. Um, one kid um, was, I guess, back there playing a game. And so this kid had snuck away from the activity of house cleaning to play a game. And so instead of me going back there and, you know, taking a paddle or getting mad or whatever, I told another kid, y'all see I'm not throwing him under the bus, I'm just saying a kid. I'm not naming names, but one kid, hey, you better go get your brother before I come back there and get it myself, right? And so we send, we send that kid as a warning, right? Because if we go back there, it's not going to be good. I give you that illustration because, as you know, there are often times in the Holy Word of God and in history where God has sent people to give a warning. And it's one of those things where God says, basically, if you'll heed this warning, things can work out for you. If you don't heed this warning... I'm coming in there. <laughs> I'm coming in there. I'm going to take care of business. And so we often call these folks in the Bible prophets. And we know that, that Elijah uh, is one of those men, and, and I would say maybe one of the most intense of the prophets and just a, one of the most interesting of the prophets. And, and so I want to just talk about him in a few chapters here in 1 Kings. And um, some of you, you know, have heard and know this part of the text, but... Just to give you a quick background before we begin to read our text, um, as you can imagine, in the book of 1 Kings, it talks about kings. And uh, to really kind of simplify it, we know that God's people were led by Moses, they were led by Joshua, and other leaders like that, but they never had a king. And if you remember in the, in the scripture, they kind of began to look around the other nations, the pagan nations around them, and say, we want a king like they have. We're going to be like them. We, this is, you know, we, need a, we need a guy. We need a leader. We need a, a king above us. And, so, and it's, so they basically rejected God leading them in the way he was leading them and said, God, give us a king. And so finally God says, okay, here you go. 
and God gives them Saul. Of course, then later they get David and Solomon and other kings. And so in this book, in First and Second Kings, we read about so many of these kings that came and, and reigned over Israel, uh, specifically when the kingdom had been divided to Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And I know I've told some of you, some of you this before, or we talked about this, I think, a few years ago in this text, but um, of the 20 northern kings, 20 of them were evil. High percentage, right? All the kings in the northern kingdom were evil. In the southern kingdom, as best I can tell, of the 20 kings in the southern kingdom, 12 were evil. So, the south's the best. But, but still, that's most of the kings of Israel during this period of history were evil men. And what happened is these evil kings led the people to worship idols and worship false gods. And they, as the leaders that people had really wanted to be over them, had led the people farther and farther away from God. Each king, as I read through there, each king seems to be worse than the one before. It's this snowball effect of evil across the land. And so in 1 Kings 16, we won't read it, but you can glance over there, um, uh, a man named Ahab begins to reign. And Ahab was an evil king, and not only was he evil, but he married a wicked woman. Uh, you might know her as Jezebel. And so Ahab and Jezebel introduced the worship of Baal to the people. Baal was the god of rain, and so the people would want to worship him because if, if they worshipped him, he might bless them with rain and grow their crops. And so they worshipped this false god. So notice this. Evil nation, evil king, evil first lady, queen, um, worshiping false gods. And in the midst of this, God sends a prophet named Elijah. And I want to read it, and I want to give us eight lessons from, from Elijah. But before we read it, let me just give you the first one. It's based on the context of what I just told you. The first one is this. Sometimes God gives his people a difficult task. Sometimes God gives his people a difficult task. I've just told you how evil the nation is and how far away from God the nation is, and yet God tells Elijah, go and prophesy to these people. Has God ever told you to go to a hard place or say a hard thing or do something like that? And, and imagine Elijah going and saying to the most powerful man in the country, the most wealthy, most important person, and to prophesy to him. Sometimes God gives us a difficult task. Well, let's find the text. Verse, chapter 17, let's read verses 1 through 7. If you're there, say word. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So I just told you, remember, these people worship Baal. They're looking for rain. They need rain, right, to grow their crops. And the prophecy is, from Elijah's mouth, it's not going to rain. Verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he, Elijah, went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. 
And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Again, my first point is that sometimes God gives his people a difficult task, and certainly Elijah was tasked with a difficult thing to go and prophesy to this evil king and this evil people and say it's not going to rain. The thing they wanted the most, God's now saying you're not going to get it. And Elijah is his messenger. I think an application here for us is what difficult thing is God calling us to do? And I'm going to give you a few examples. Maybe God is calling us this morning, there's no maybe, he is calling us to do this, to be more obedient to his word. Can we all say that? You know, we're getting close to the end of the year, right? We make these New Year's resolutions and things like that. Could we say even this morning, God's calling us to be more obedient to his word? Yeah. How about this? Maybe a difficult thing God might be calling you to do is, is to be more faithful to the church. How about this? Maybe there's someone you're holding a grudge against and God's saying, I know it's hard, but you need to forgive that person. Your difficult task this morning might just be trusting him, even though it seems like things in life are falling apart, and just trusting him anyway through the hard times. So we notice Elijah sent here. After he does his prophecy, here he's sent to kind of obscurity. And as he goes there, God feeds him with the ravens. And so that leads me to my second lesson of eight lessons from Elijah. The second one is that God always provides for his people. You see, God might send us to do difficult things, and certainly as Christians, life will be difficult at times, but God always provides for his people. Look at verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a, in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and not die. So you see here, she's kind of at her wit's end a little bit, trying to provide for her and her son. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after, thee, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house, and they did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Much like Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves, the Lord multiplied the provisions here and provided for his prophet. And uh, thinking about this text, 
I think we can all agree that we always don't get what we want, but God always gives us what we need, right? I'm sure for Elijah that wasn't an ideal situation. I just went and prophesied, God, I did what you told me to do. And God says, well, go out in obscurity and I'll feed you with the birds. And then go to this house of this widow and, and I'll take care of you. God told him, she's going to help sustain you. I'm going I'm to use this situation. So, again, I wonder how many of us are doubting God or stressing about things and how many of us stress about what our neighbors might have and what we might not have instead of being thankful for what we do have. Now, that, that's just a good reminder for, for me and, and maybe for us. Look at verse 17. And so God here is going to do a, a miracle. We're going to see a, another lesson through this. But in verse 17 it says, It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Are thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid upon him on his own bed, or laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Let me give you a third principle here, a third lesson from Elijah, and that's simply this, that God alone has the power to give life. God alone has the power to give life. I could not help, but as I read through this text again this week, to think about John chapter 11, when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and called him forth, and looking at how it takes the power of God to do a work like that. We see the same power in Christ on the third day as he rose from the grave, and can I say this to us? We see the same power when we're born again. That God grants us new life. That we would never have the power to grant ourselves eternal life, could we? We don't have the power to live righteously. We don't have the power to forgive our own sins. But what we do have is a life-giving Son of God, Jesus Christ, who grants us what's needed. In his own strength, in his own power, Elijah could have never helped this widow's son but with the power of God in him and with him he was able to bring him bring him back and Elijah experiences this and I can't imagine how Elijah must feel to see God working in his life let me give you this I think the lesson here is when we are walking in God's will he will fulfill our needs and his mercy for us will never run short let me give you a fourth lesson. Um, I want you to see this with me as well. Um, look in chapter 17, verse 2. We're going to kind of go back through a few of these verses as we get to the fourth lesson. Verse 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. So God's word came to him. Now skip down to verse 5 and see what it says. 
So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Now look at verse 8. Again, the word of the Lord came unto him. Now look at verse 10. He arose and he went. Here's my fourth lesson for us from Elijah, and that's this. God's will is revealed through his word. God's will is revealed through his word. Twice here, the word of the Lord comes to him, and it immediately tells us he did it. He obeyed it. One thing I've been asked many, many times over the years in ministry by people is, how do I know God's will for my life? People ask that a lot, and we might ask that a lot. How do I know God's will? And, and I heard, once heard someone say this, that 90% of God's will for your life is just plainly spelled out here in the Word. Just do the things that this says, and that's going to be 90% of your life, maybe 95%. The other 5 or 10% are maybe life decisions we have to make. And I really believe this, that the way to make those other decisions that may not be explicitly spelled out here is to be following the revealed will of God, and then He will begin to show us how to make these other decisions in wisdom and in truth and in a way that it's good. And so I want to I encourage us to see that from the Old Testament to the New, when God spoke His Word and people followed it, things tended to work out the best for God's glory and that person's soul. So I want to call us to this, and we've been, some of us have been talking about this already this morning. I want to encourage you even now, early in December, to begin to think about, will you read the Bible in 2023? Will you have a plan to read God's Word and be committed to it? And we'll be talking more about that soon, but I wanted to give you a few thoughts here on Bible engagement. This was a study done by Lifeway probably 10 years ago. They studied a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, and they discovered this, that Bible engagement was the number one spiritual discipline for growth. So all spiritual disciplines are important, but what they discovered was that people who truly grew spiritually, the number one factor was that they made a, uh, an effort to get into God's Word. We just can't do it, can we, apart from the Word. We just can't. Even if you don't like to read anything else, you need to read the Word right? Secondly, they found out that Bible engagement affects every other discipline. So people that read the Word would pray more. People that were in the Word would go to church more. People that were in the Word would be more likely to witness or to give to those in need. And the third thing is they found, or no, they didn't find this. I just put this on here. We need to get into the Word until the Word gets into us. Because if these things are true, if one and two are true, then we certainly need to make sure we're into this Word. I encourage you to think about that. I know one of our church members, I won't call their name out, but I was told that one of our church members, for the first time in their life, read through the entire Bible this year in 2022. I think that's awesome. That they made a plan, they stuck with it, they made it into a habit, a habit, and I'm sure the Lord has blessed them through that, that reading. Maybe that could be you next year if you've never read it all the way through. Uh, maybe you'll be the one that, that takes that on. But you see, it's not just about reading it, it's not just about hearing it, but it's also about doing it, right? Elijah did not ignore the word of the Lord. Elijah did it. He did it. He obeyed, and he approached Ahab and prophesied. He helped the widow. And so a couple of thoughts here before we move to the fifth one is, and, and I'm just kind of making this by implication, but for me, when Elijah went to Ahab, that had to be a difficult thing to do, a hard thing to do. What's the hard thing God's calling you to do? Is it to change your lifestyle? 
to be more focused on church, to, again, ask for forgiveness, to be more part of the ministry of the church. And then when he went to the widow and, and helped them out, I wonder, who is it that God wants us to serve? Some thoughts I have about that part. Number five, lesson five, um, this is the longest point, but if we stay in, engaged, if we stay engaged in what God wants us to do and who God wants us to serve, he will take care of our needs and he will use us to accomplish his glory. I'll let you take a minute to kind of look at that. But if we focus on the things God wants us to do, the people God wants us to serve, I really believe he's going to use it for his glory and ultimately even for our good. Um, so you know the story in, in chapter 18. Elijah goes back to Ahab, and Ahab is like, you're the worst. He's like, you're the troubler. Of, I think he calls him the troubler of Israel. And, and Elijah's like, no, you're the one leading Israel astray. You're the one causing trouble. And they have this back and forth. And so finally he's, um, Elijah says, you know what? I've had enough. God's had enough. We're about to settle this. And so God, Elijah calls for the 450 prophets of Baal, and they have this epic clash on Mount Carmel. And Elijah preaches this message where he's like, people listen, because all the people are gathered around, and he's like, you need to choose, kind of like Joshua had said uh, years before, you need to choose who you're going to serve. You need to make a decision. Are you going to serve Baal and worship Baal, or are you going to serve the one true God? And he gives this uh, this, this plea, this message, and he tells the people, I'm paraphrasing, but he tells them, stop limping around between two opinions. He says to them, stop riding the fence. You can't have God and Baal. You must worship the Lord. Again, it reminds me of maybe a struggle we might go through. Are there people in, in our midst who um, have this struggle in us that want, we want a little bit of God, but also everything else as well? And we're kind of like Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. We're trying to serve two masters. God help us if we're struggling with that. I think there's many times where all of us probably do. And may God help us to choose the, the, the one, the one true God. So what happened is Elijah makes this plea and the people don't respond. They're like, I don't know about this. They don't respond. And so, again, I want you to imagine this sold out event. Everyone's there. And they decided to have this competition, basically. They're going to make an altar of sacrifice and see whose God shows up. Is it going to be the one true God, the God of Elijah? Is it going to be Baal? So first, the prophets of Baal get, get together, and they're, they're making their altar. They're getting ready to put their animal sacrifices up there. And the Bible says from morning to midday, they begin to do their things, make their sacrifices, call on Baal to come down and, and, and show himself. And you know what happens, right? Nothing. And in, in my favorite part of the text, Elijah starts mocking them. He's like some of us, a smart, little smart like I think. <laughs> but he's like, where's your God? He even says this, is he in the bathroom? Is he relieving himself? That's what he says. Is he sleeping? Where, where's your God now? <laughs> I like this little smack talk. I like that. And so then after all their nonsense... Elijah steps up, he repairs the altar of the Lord, he even puts water all around it and on it. Then he, well, you know what, let's read what happens next. After he repairs the altar, puts water around it, chapter 18, let's read it, verse 36. 
18 and verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. An emphatic victory of the Lord. So emphatic that not only did him show himself to be the Lord, and Elijah showed himself to be the prophet, but they wiped away those prophets of Baal, killed them by the sword. I love this victory. I love this. I love when you read stories like that in the scripture where God shows up and shows out and, and, and makes himself known that people who did doubt him or people who rejected him can see clearly he is here, he is real. So then what happens next? Elijah prays. It begins to rain again, which is important to these people to know that, wow, maybe Baal wasn't the rain god. Maybe God is the rain god. Maybe God's over those things. And so they're happy, there's rain, um, the drought is over, food can be grown, everyone could survive. So after this, if you know the story in chapter 19, they throw this huge party. They take Elijah and they put him up on this huge chair and they're celebrating him. Do you know the story? Because I'm lying right now. That does not happen. They do not celebrate at this point. Something else happens. In chapter 19, if you want to glance over there and just kind of look at it, instead of a celebration, instead of a party where they're like, well, God has showed up now, God has stopped the drought, we can eat again, we can survive, Elijah's the great prophet, we want to, we want to lift him up and worship God, no, none of that. In chapter 19, something else happens. We see that Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, and a bad woman in her own right, she sends a message, a threatening message that she's going to kill Elijah. And Elijah, this bold man of God, who had just stood up for God in front of 450 prophets of Baal, kind of ran away from the situation. He ran away really as far as he could. He found a small tree, and he just kind of hung out there. And he, he, just, he just kind of like, ugh. He's really in despair. That's our sixth lesson. Sometimes God's people will go through struggles. And again, this always amazes me because this is not the only situation like this in the Bible, but where someone is kind of a hero and they do a great work. And then yet, they end up afraid, worried, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, running from God, throwing a pity party, maybe depressed, maybe wanting to die or sleep away their, their problems. Again, you can probably think of a couple of other scriptural ev uh, evidences of this as well. I know of great you know, men of God in history. Uh, Spurgeon was one. 
who talked about you know, going through bouts of depression and things like that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a preacher and seeing thousands of people come to the Lord and yet you're going through depression yourself and going through despair yourself? That's, that's kind of hard to imagine, but look, if this can happen to Elijah, it can certainly happen to us. Whether it's fears or worries, whatever it might be, um, I pray we won't respond like this by running, hiding, trying to cope with our our despair in inappropriate ways. But if we do, if we find ourselves struggling with trials and tribulations and valleys, um, I pray we would we turn to the Lord, trust Him. The solution is my seventh lesson for you. The solution for discouragement and despair is to be satisfied by God. We can be satisfied by His presence. And what I mean by His presence is not some mystical presence. I mean His Word, the Holy Spirit in us, the church. We gather and, and worship Him together. We can be satisfied by Him through His presence and through His provision, His blessings. It's this realization I think we all need that the realization we need is that the main thing we need is our relationship with God. More than all the blessings He gives us, but it is knowing Him, serving Him, because at the end of the day, if everything is stripped away from us, and it could be, do we have that relationship with our Father? Jesse, uh, I was talking on the way down here. She, she put up some Christmas lights yesterday, and she cleaned out some, our storage room. When she gets on a mission like that, you just can't stop her. I'm like, take a break. And she just won't stop. And, um, and so I said, you know, all that stuff you did won't even matter in eternity or whatever. And she was like, a lot of the stuff I do won't matter in eternity. <laughs> well, that's actually a good point. But we still have to do it. But what will matter in eternity? What will matter 100 years from now? I mean, will where I eat after church today matter 100 years from now? Will my team winning the college football championship matter 100 years from now? Will me having the nicest truck or house matter 100 years from now? None of that's going to matter whatsoever. What's going to matter is, do I know God? And do the people I love know God? And am I about the mission that God has put us here to be a part of? The solution for despair and discouragement is to be satisfied by knowing our Father. Too many people in this world are seeking to be satisfied by things that will never truly satisfy. What is your source of, ho of hope, joy, and happiness? Psalm 107, verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Here's one thing I know. If we desire God, he will fulfill that desire. He will fulfill us if we desire God. Him. He satisfies the longing soul. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or filled. So back in our text, in our story of Elijah, as we kind of move near the end of the story, God cares for Elijah. Even though Elijah is going through this moment, uh, he's caring for him. And Elijah ends up at this mountain, and he begins to remind God, uh, I think it's in chapter 19, of, of the things that he has done um, and... All things he's done, and he, he kind of tells God again a pity party, like nobody's on my side, everybody's against me, 
And so then God does this miraculous thing there in, in beginning through in verse 9 and, and following where God sends a great wind, he sends a great earthquake, he sends a great fire, but the Bible says God was not in those things. But then the Lord passes by Elijah and speaks with a still, small voice and tells Elijah what he must do. He also tells Elijah, I've got people serving me. You're not the only one. You're not alone. There are others as well. Let me give us an application. Anytime we feel alone, we must know we're not alone. Anytime you might feel like you're on an island, like you're, again, all alone, just know that you're not. First, the Lord is with us, right? He's promised to be with us. Again, the Word, the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the church, He is with us. But is it possible that we've cluttered our lives with so many other voices that we don't hear the still, small voice through the Word, through the Spirit, God's guiding in our lives? Is it possible we're listening to so many other things? I've heard people before in the past, I remember this one lady especially, and she was like, this is years ago, she was like, I'm going to do this thing as soon as God shows me a sign. I'm like, what kind of sign are you looking for? You know, a billboard, you know, commercial on TV. What are you looking for? I just need God to show me a sign. Well, church, listen, if you want God to show you a sign and tell you what to do, read this, right? Obey this, trust this, and that's where the sign's going to be. Um, if you're waiting around for some big sign, you're not waiting for the right thing. And you might even find something you think, there it is, that was a sign, that thing happened, that was a sign. Well, it may not be, <laughs> that may not be the sign. You better make sure it lines up with what the Word says. First of all, I wouldn't be looking for signs. I'll be looking for God's will in the Word. Look, not only is God with us, but we have our church family. And I want to just encourage us. Again, Elijah felt alone here, and God said, you're not alone. There are many others who believe. I've got many others for myself. So I want to encourage us, church. Um, I, there's two different kinds of churches related to this, like helping each other, needing each other. Number one, there's the church that pretends everything's okay. We don't want to be the pretend everything is okay church. I, I was serving a church years ago, and there was this couple married for like almost 30 years, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, just separated and divorced like that. And I was asking other church members, like, did y'all know they were having issues? And like, nobody knew, because they were just hiding their, their stuff, which I get that. But, man, that, that hurts, because couldn't we, if they were struggling as a church, help them and, you know, got found counseling or prayer? But... As I began to look around that particular church, I realized we were all doing the same thing. We were all doing that. We were all kind of hiding the hurts in our lives. We were, we were, there was very little sharing with folks, even if it was just one or two trusted people, about what's going on in your life. And I want to say to his church, I'm not saying you have to get up here in front of the whole church and tell everything going on in your life, but if you need prayer, if you need counsel, you have pastors, you have friends here who I think will talk with you if you need somebody. And I hope we would take advantage of that. Let's don't be a pretend everything's okay church. Um, there are also churches that help people deal with real life. And I've told you all this story before. Once I visited a church in Tupelo on a Wednesday night, the pastor invited me. I walk in the door. I didn't see, it's kind of a, it wasn't a regular church building. It's a different kind of building. I saw some people over here on the right in the room. So I went in this room. I sat in the back. A guy got up and read some scripture. I was like, this is pretty good. And 
and uh, they sang a couple songs. Everybody was really into the songs. I'm like, this is good. A man did a devotion. I was like, that's, that's a good, it was good, solid biblical devotion. I was like, that's good. And then after the devotion, one by one, people began to stand up and talk about their addictions to drugs and alcohol. And I was like, and the pastor friend that invited me wasn't even in there the whole time. And I was like, I may be in the wrong room. <laughs> but I was happy I was there. I felt like it was like a blessing because I was like, this is something different. I'd not really been around. But my point is this. They had this Bible study set aside for people going through addiction to try to help them. And as far as I could tell, they were preaching the word, praying together. And I like the idea that they're saying, life's messy. Let's work through it together. And so church, let's know, let's know that whatever we might be going through, family issue, marriage issue, financial issue, social issue, whatever we might be going through, spiritual issue, there are people here who want to help each other and pray for each other. So let's reach out to each other. Elijah spent the rest of his life training his successor, Elisha. And then over in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, or chapter 2, 2 Kings, Elijah is miraculously whipped away into heaven in a chariot of fire. And after he had prepared his, his, the next prophet, Elisha. One thing we learn from Elijah is that the Christian life is up and down. There are high highs and there are low lows. And I think we all probably know that anyway. That leads me to my eighth, our eighth point. Our final lesson. And I, I hope this will be a challenge for you, church, and for, for all of us. When we stay close to the Lord, hearing and obeying His Word, we can experience great joy and victory. When we stay close to Him, are you close to Him this morning? Are you drawing, as one old hymn says, draw nearer to Him? Drawing nearer to Him through His Word, through the church, through prayer. Are you drawing nearer to Him through just sincere worship? If so, even through the ups and the downs, we can experience victory and joy. May we know Him more biblically. May we love Him more dearly. May we worship Him more reverently. May we trust Him more fully. May we obey Him more passionately. And may we serve Him more regularly. Let's pray.